similar. They're the same kind of thing. They have a similar storyline or narrative. And the narrative looks like this. A young woman that's put in an unfortunate circumstance is looked down by others, but then miraculously is seen for who she is. Rescued out of her situation. And it's usually rescued by love. Well, do you recognize the story yet? Maybe you were first introduced to the story by 1950s Disney movie, Cinderella. We played a little this morning to give you some cues, some music from Cinderella. But it's a theme that's been redone over and over again. Modern plays, postmodern plays, teen movies, serious movies. The theme is everywhere through time. And we're going to see the theme is even in the story we're going to read today in the Song of Songs. It seems to be a theme that hits us for some reason. And I want to investigate why it hits us. How does it hit us? And what does it say to us as people? So let's look together, shall we? The Song of Songs, it's printed in your worship guide. It's on page 560 in your pew Bible. And uh, let's take a look together at the Song of Songs. I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flocks and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. 
Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The word of the Lord. Oh, what is this book? Well, first, it's a song. It's a song that engages the sentence, the senses. Through ordinary things, it brings vibrancy. Through poetry, imagery, it brings them to life. We hear about sheep and towers and horses and perfumes. And it belts out love through this imagery. I would think if you heard a Whitney Houston song, I Will Always Love You, you know that crescendo of the song. And that is what this song does. That crescendo, when she belts it out, it just makes you go, whoa. And that's what this song does. It makes you go, whoa. And it's meant to be sung. It was sung at weddings, sung at festivals. It was sung to the people. This is what love is. So first, it's a song. Two, it's, it's wisdom literature. And wisdom is how to act godly about a certain subject. And this subject is the subject of love. And the wisdom was really spoken to the young people of Israel. We see Proverbs is spoken to young men. But the song of songs is spoken to young women. It says, ladies, the beautifulness of love, the prettiness, the gorgeousness of love, it is found in the confines of marriage. This is wisdom. This idea of where love is found in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman has kind of fallen on hard times in our society. But I would encourage you, wherever you're at, we're going to kind of examine this idea, this Christian worldview the Christian sexual ethic, is it worthwhile? Is it true? Is it good for flourishing in our own lives? I think it is. I think the Song of Songs will speak to that. So here we have a song and we have wisdom. In those things combined, we find this. It doesn't just speak to us, which wisdom literature does, but it speaks about us. It speaks about our emotions. It speaks about our feelings. It speaks about how we deal with the riddle of love. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a child, wherever you are, it speaks to the idea of love. And also, lastly, it's a song, it's wisdom. Thirdly, it's public and it's private. It's very candid about love between a man and a woman, but it's not crude. It gives us imagery if we really probed and looked at it, we go, wow, that's hot and heavy, but it does it in a very beautiful and pretty way. And it also has a chorus. It talks about a man and a woman primarily about their love in marriage but then it shows the people of Israel observing the love between them. 
and rejoicing in the love that God has orchestrated through marriage. And you see this chorus throughout the book of the Song of Songs. So, today, let's look as the chorus. Let's look at a love story between this man and this woman. Let's see how this love story comes to fruition. Shall we? So let's look. Verse 5. What do we know about this woman? Well, we know this. She's working in the vineyards. She has been sent out into the fields. It seems like her father is not present. She speaks about, my mother's sons were angry with me. Now in that time, the father was the protector of young women. Protector of her to be able to make sure that she was cared for. That she would be able to find a husband and all those things. And if the, husband, the father died, then the protector of the woman of the family, the young woman, would be the brothers. But what have the brothers done to her? They sent her out to work the fields. Not much protecting going on. She sees her beauty. What does she say? I'm very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. But at the same time, she sees what working in the vineyards has done. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. In her hard work, the sun has beat down on her and it has given her a tan, if you will. Well, I find that kind of funny. One, the fickleness of what we find beauty. Uh, because I'm sure some of you would say, I would love a tan right now. Um, I would like what she has. But you see how she sees herself. At one sense, yes, I am beautiful. But in another sense, I am burnt. I have been under the hot sun. This does not show my beauty. Oh, the fickleness of beauty. How it changes through time. In the European Renaissance, pale and plump was what a beautiful woman was. Here in the 21st century, many times it's lean and tan. In the 80s, it might have been big hair. Oh man, how it changes over time. I can't even keep up to what is supposed to be beautiful and what is not. And it's amazing how women are so easily able to pick out the flaws of what they see is not beautiful in themselves. And here, it's similar to this woman. She sees her own flaws. Here she has no father to protect. She's being sent out to work, almost kind of abused by her siblings. She has an uncertain future. Who will protect her? Who will care for her? She's working in the fields. Sounds like we've heard this story before, right? This is, this is Cinderella, right? This is ancient Palestinian Cinderella kind of thinking, written thousands of years before we hear it from the Brothers Grimm. The thing is, this story is a story that is within all our hearts. Am I wanted? Am I truly needed? Am I appreciated for who I am? 
I long for someone to see me, to care for me, to rescue me. And whether she's next to this pasture or these hills, she is next to a shepherd. And whether she's speaking internally about her love and desire for the shepherd or she's speaking out loud, she wants to be close to this shepherd, this guy she loves. You see, she does it in an innocent way. She doesn't want to call at him at night. She doesn't want to be like the women that are veiled, which is probably referring to prostitutes. She's trying to arrange a meeting at midday when there was like a break for water or for food, that the shepherd would come over and they would talk under a tree, that she could express her thoughts, that she might receive his love. Someone that might care for her and love her, despite the sun beating down on her, despite feeling that she is not beautiful. So how does the shepherd respond? What does he say in return? Let's look, shall we? Verse 8. If you do not know, O most beautiful among women. You see, the shepherd doesn't see her imperfection. He doesn't see the worldly flaws she sees in herself. Instead, he finds her beautiful. Just as she is. You know, that's kind of the story of Cinderella too. Here this prince is surrounded by all this beauty. All this ornateness. All this worldly splendor. But then he sees someone else enter. He says, ah, there's something different in her. There is something beautiful in her. That I would even love her if she was a servant girl. I would still see there is more than the outside. There is her character that I find beautiful. See, even in her insecurity, he compliments her. He restores her. I think this message is harder and harder in our culture. I know we love to bash the cultures that we in, we grow in now. I'm not saying that our world is the worst it's ever been, but I think we do live in an age of many images. Images and objects of what beauty is. And I think many times it numbs us from seeing what true beauty is. That it is character that we love in people. Listen, bodies change. They just do over time. The girl that might be on a cover of a magazine now might not be on one in a year or two years from now because her body changes. And whether you're a man or a woman, you are put up against these things. And it is harder and harder to see beauty for what it is more than just the outside. Well, his poetic skills continue and they flourish. Look at him go. He goes, I compare you, my love, to a mare. What? 
He compares her to a horse. Well, don't bash him too much. The horse in Israel was a rare animal. They might not have seen it very often. It wasn't used for just farm work. It was used specifically for battles. Only the rich owned him. The horse was a noble thing. And especially when it was Pharaoh's horse, how beautiful it would be. And these horses were so pretty that they were bedazzled with jewels. They had them all over them. And that is what he compares her to. That's what he thinks is the most beautiful thing he has seen, maybe. Oh, it's noble. It's, it's for battle. It's majestic. For that guy, that's what was beautiful to him. Well, this just shows that uh, vehicles continue to be used uh, for comparing women and beauty. Back then it was horses. Now it's probably cars. I'm sure some men here say, the most beautiful thing I see is this kind of car. And to compare your woman to a car is a great compliment because you think cars are so beautiful. Well, sometimes it's not the safest bet to compare your woman to a car or to a horse. But ladies, please see your man is trying. See, Maybe sometimes, men, we should think of how we speak to our ladies and take risks. We say, you're more beautiful than a diamond. Oh, that's a, that's a common thing. But take something you love and compare her to it. I love books. If I said to Aaron, you are richer and more exciting and more wise than any book I've ever read. See, that takes what I see as beautiful, and I say, you are greater than that. See, Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. What are you saying about your lover? What are you speaking to them? Do you speak these words of love and beauty? You see, this guy, he starts in verse 9 and says, I compare you, my love. The NIV says, my darling. Different translations, you're different. This is his pet name for her. And he uses it over and over again throughout the Song of Songs. Nine times, my darling, my love. My dad is the best at this. He he does the names for my mom and just changes over time. I remember growing up, it was Tweety Bird. But when he goes to different places throughout the world, he picks up the words that these places use for love people, that people use for their spouses, and then he uses it on my mom. One year it's in Swahili, the next it's in Malagasy, the next it's in an Afghani language. And he plays with that for a couple years. He builds up a name for his beloved. Do you do the same? You see in chapter 2 verse 1. She now speaks of herself. She's being encouraged. And she's speaking about what she feels about herself. I am a rose of Sharon. I am a lily of the valleys. 
Really, this is a, not just a rose, it's a crocus is really the Hebrew. And lilies, they were very common flowers to the land. But you see, he takes what she says about herself. I'm a rose, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm a lily of the valley, something very common. And then he says, as a lily among brambles, so is my love, my darling among the young women. Now he says, no, no, no. You are a rose when all around it is thorns. All around it is weeds. All the other women look like that, but you are beautiful and majestic. You are not common. You are unique. You are different. You stand out among the others. I only see you. I only have eyes for you. I forsake all others for you. I worked at a camp in the summers as a counselor with many other college students. It was a sports camp. Many D1 athletes and college students, men and women, just say it was pretty crazy when that much testosterone and hormones come together in a camp setting. It's a lot of checking each other out, going out on dates and those kind of things. And these were pretty women, educated women, women that were very successful. And my bride, Erin, she worked in the kitchen. She wasn't a counselor. And I tell you, there was no better place for me than to be in the dining hall. Because the most beautiful woman of all of camp was there. She was there. I had eyes for no one else. It was her. Everything else just fell away. Oh man, Dan, that's just exaggeration, right? That's buttering her up. That's what you do, right? You got to say that. You have to say that. Well, the thing is, if my wife is made in the image of God, I get to know her better than anyone else in the world. And through getting to know her, I get a piece of the majesty of who God is. Better than anyone else can. Because I get to be with her throughout life. How should she not be the prettiest thing? Because I see what God has made. The layers just come off to see how he has formed her and how he has made her. That I should say she is the prettiest woman in this church. She is the prettiest woman in all of Appleton. She is the prettiest woman I have ever seen. Single friends, be with someone that finds that in you. That draws that out in you. That sees how God has made you and created you. Do not settle for anything less. So I, I, say, I, do a, I do a lot of premarital counseling. And I say this continues through all my premarital counseling. Cracks that you see in your dating relationship now. And you think, oh, it's not that bad. 
It's not that big of a deal how he treats me now or how she treats me now. When you get married, those cracks become canyons. Okay? So you think, oh, it's not that bad now. Just give it time. Now, I'm not saying that grace cannot bridge those canyons, cannot heal things or anything like that. But if you're dating and you're trying to find out if I want to be with this person for the rest of my life, then you can be discerning in whether you should be with someone that talks to you and speaks to you in those kind of ways that are not right. What do we say towards each other? How do we speak about each other? See, this book of the Song of Songs, it's a duet of mutual admiration back and forth, back and forth. And it is rich in its descriptive power. It engages the senses, touch and sight and hearing and smelling. Look with me. It says here, um, looking uh, verse 12 through 14, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. This nard, it's spike nard, and it's ex- probably the most expensive fragrance then. Came all the way from India. The myrrh came from Arabia. Usually it was kind of a, a gum that was turned into an oil that was put on ladies to smell good. And henna was more popular at that time in Palestine. And that would also have been a fragrance or deodorant that women used. You see the lady, what she's doing is say, these fragrances that I put on myself, that I smell, they are so unique. They are different than anything else. And when I smell them, it reminds me of my lover. He is different than anyone else. He is more rich than anything in this world. He is unique. You know, he talks about uniqueness, that he, she's a lily among the brambles. And then she goes back and says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest. You see, all the forest has all these trees, but then there is an apple tree in the midst of it. This solo apple tree. That is you, my lover. You are different than everything else around My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Engedi was an oasis west of the Dead Sea, a beautiful place in the middle of desert where people would come to be refreshed. Many perfumes were found there in Engedi. And here she is saying, You are my oasis, you are my safe place. I delight to be in your presence. This apple tree is a shadow. It is something that brings me comfort that when I taste of it, I delight in it. I'm sure maybe some of you in dating, your senses were heightened. Mine were in dating. I mean, I could write poetry when I was dating. I could sing to love songs, all those things. I mean, 
the senses are just heightened in that time. Maybe it was the hormones, who knows what it was. <laughs> but the senses were just heightened in that time. This is what's happening here and how they speak to one another, that all the senses are being engaged. But over time in relationships, we become numb to our senses. Maybe we try to find sensual things outside of our relationships to heighten our senses. I love what Jesus says. He says, consider the lilies of the field. I love just that word, consider. Do you look at the beauty of the ordinary? This is the time to do it, right, in Wisconsin. Do you look at the tulip, the orchid, the plants that are growing in your garden? Do you look and you see in the beauty in these things, how they smell, how they look? how they are made. Do you engage all your senses in looking at them? Oh, how beautiful this creation. You see, Jesus, when he says, consider the lilies of the field, he's making a comparison. If that is beautiful, the lily, how much more beautiful are you? A person made in the image of God. Have you considered your spouse? how beautiful they are, how they are made and how they are created. Have you considered that? Do you tell them of how they're made and how beautiful they are? All the senses engaged. I love Bruce Welke. He's a famous theologian. He's wrote a lot on the Song of Songs. He's been married for 42 years. And he says, sometimes the only thing that I think I have in common with my wife is that we got married on the same day. <laughs> Last month, there was an article in the New York Times talking about the leading problems in marriages and why they fall apart. And the hypothesis was that the reason that marriages fall apart is because people don't know how to deal with change. The author of the article, she's, she's very witty. She says, I've been married three times. They've just all been to the same person. <laughs> Talking about how she changes through time. I've been everything from a size four to a size 14. I've been the life of the party and I've been a drag. I've been broke and I've been loaded. I've been clinically depressed and I've been radiantly happy. Spread out over the years, I am a harem. <laughs> Do you consider the lily of the field that God has made? How your spouse has changed over the years and that's not always a bad thing, that's a good thing that is exposing new things in them. You're seeing them for how God has made them. The author goes on, they lived in Manhattan and 
in their 40s, they moved out of their small apartment and hadn't decided to buy a house the first time they'd ever owned a home. Many changes were happening. And in this home, Chipmunk got into the house and it was under the couch and she could not capture the chipmunk at all. She asked her husband, help me, and he's like, okay, I'll do it. And he takes this Tupperware bowl and shoves the couch and the chipmunk runs out and he tosses the bowl and it lands on the chipmunk. (laughs) And then he takes a piece of cardboard and puts it underneath and then takes it outside. And she said to him, that was, that was really impressive. And he said, I, I know. <laughs> she says pointedly at the end of her article, I was in awe by a man I thought I knew completely. I was in awe by a man I thought I knew completely. Look with me. It's so subtle, but it's so rich in this passage. Verse 16. Behold, she is saying, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. Before in verse 12, she said, well, the king was on his couch. Now she says, our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. She is saying, by our couch is green, our relationship flourishes. It grows. This house is something alive with cedars and rafters of pine. It's growing over time. Do you see that in your relationship through change? Do you engage the senses? I love the way that Aaron cuts grapes. I love that she gives baths to the girls and every time she gets soaking wet. I love the way she dances in the kitchen. I love the way she sits on the couch with her coffee, with her book, and just reads. Do you consider the ordinary? And do you see its beauty? God has given me His creation for me to spend my life with. Do I consider the lily of the field? You see, this is a back and forth duet. They hear each other and they give compliments back and forth. Verse 14, in the vineyards of Engedi. And then he responds, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And the word eyes is almost exactly the same as the word Engedi. She says oasis. He says your eyes. See, this love, it goes back and forth. And it crescendos. 
until her speech in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 2. See, this love is for each other. It forsakes all others. It's mutual. They take delight in each other. And that leads to great pleasure. It's not divorced from personhood. It's found in relationship with each other, in character with each other. She says, he brought me to his banqueting house. This would be a wine room. A place where people had drink. A place of pleasure. But how is this place of pleasure identified? Its banner over me was love. Banners were flown over kingdoms and kings to identify what kingdom they came from or what nation they were from. She says, in this place of sensual delight, in this place of pleasure, is love for me. You see, lust does not see the full person. It sees a person as an object. True love is tied to covenant relationship, to commitment. This woman is made more radiant. This man is more, made more radiant by the love that grows for each other. Some of the saddest things I see is women that in worldly standards are beautiful, but are not radiant. Because they're not seen for who they really are by their spouse. Last week I did a wedding for Jen Holcomb, who is part of our church, and, and Elliot. I've never seen a guy cry so much at a wedding before. But the more he cried, the more radiant she looked. Because the banner over her was love. Married people, you can search further of what these words through verse 3 through 6 mean. Let's just say they're very loaded. <laughs> they're very sensual. This is the crescendo of this passage. But at the end... What does she say? She gives wisdom. I adjure you, O daughters of, Is of, of Jerusalem. Meaning, I tell you, make an oath. Make a vow. I tell you, wait. Wait. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. At the crescendo of this love, in the crescendo of intimacy, she says to young people, take a vow, take an oath. And you can't swear to God, so she does it by the gazelles or the does of the field. She's trying to do as much as she can through passion. It's really identifying the human person, especially a woman. She is saying, make an oath, make a vow to wait Young people, please, please hear this. 
if you checked out young people through this whole sermon, like, what is this guy talking about? Here's your time to listen, young people. Teenagers. Hear me. Wait, not because sex is bad, but because it is beautiful. Wait, because it's not something bad that we just shove off. No, wait, because it is so wonderful. It is so amazing. It is so beautiful. It is more than just the physical. Sex is expressing yourself totally vulnerable to one other person and they see you for who you are and they say still, I love you and I want to be with you. Don't rob yourself of anything less. Oh, Cinderella, that story is so fun. The songs are kind of cheesy, though, in it. Remember when they're by the fountain and they're spending time together? She sings, so this is love. So this is what makes life divine. Well, as cheesy as that song is, her story speaks of not just old fairy tales, but it's the cry of humanity. Men and women, men and women, you are called the bride. We have each faced tragic circumstances like Cinderella. But someone comes and sees us as beautiful. The shepherd comes and rescues us. The shepherd says, I love you. I care for you. I know you for how I've made you. Your spouse might fall short. Your lover might fall short. Your parents might fall short. But I know you because I created you and I have rescued you to myself. I love you. That is the good news of the gospel. That the bridegroom has come for us, the bride. That even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So will you? Will you come to the banqueting table? Will you come and feast at the feet of the bridegroom, knowing his banner over you is love? Let's pray.